Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Bienvenidos, bitches. Buiti binafi. It's episode 140, and we thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, gender, able-bodied white dudes. No. <laughs> there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman, and I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. It is not her fault, everyone. <laughs> we are not journalists, investigators, or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com, and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website, plus check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Priscilla Joyce Ford, a woman who injured 23 people and killed six by mm. driving her car down a sidewalk in downtown Reno, Nevada on Thanksgiving Day in 1980. Ooh. This story was researched and written by Minnie, who is now our official researcher. Yeah, hip-hop air horns to Minnie, because yeah. I was reading through. She is so... Funny. 
<laughs> yeah, she has some little comments here and there. So <laughs> I love it. Mini <laughs> chef's kiss. Uh, but before we get into it, uh, how you doing? Uh, well, I'm better now. Okay. I uh, I was sick for two weeks. Ooh. It was not COVID related, but it still sucked. Yeah, yeah. I was worried. I was worried there for a second. Yeah. Like, Ooh, is she gonna make it? Is she she, was, she was on the prayer list for yeah. sure. <laughs> I was actually walking up to the altar on my knees praying for you. <laughs> And uh, my grandson is still getting used to being here, and it's been mm. a challenge. I've mm -hmm. mentioned before that he's special needs, and mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. kid has so much energy. <laughs> when you described it, when you described the level of energy, I was I was blown away because I I mean I figured all little boys are energetic, but no, uh, no. This, this one is like uh, he, he's definitely like it at an 11 plus for sure <laughs> <laughs> so it's been difficult to find time to work on the podcast uh, for example I get up at 5 a.m every morning even on the weekends to get Damn. at least an hour or two of work on the podcast done uh -huh. without interruption because it's yeah. like the only time I can do it mm -hmm, well mm -hmm. uh this morning my grandson was up at 5 30 <laughs> holy shit yeah wow. I about cried <laughs> and does does he like nap during the middle of the no. day or nope. like quiet time nope no wow. nothing i wow. mean the only time we really get any quiet time is if we let him uh look at our phones or uh play his switch but that causes other issues so we try yeah. to limit it and uh it's a struggle <laughs> um bev have yes. you considered getting a trampoline um it's you know, changed my family's life whoa. seriously huh. especially we got it during the pandemic Right. And it was just really great for our kids. Even I use it sometimes. But to wow. just go out and jump. Just yeah, jump. Yeah. And they do it for hours. <laughs> I'm recommending. I'm okay, that's my prescription I'll, I'll, uh, for you. I'll suggest it to my daughter and see what she says. I'm not sure uh, what she would think of that, but I'll, I'll suggest it. Well, mm -hmm. they are dangerous and deadly. Yeah, However... Yeah. But uh, they're, they're a good outlet. <laughs> but anyway, we're trying to get back on schedule. And uh, we hope you can bear with us when we have uh, little hiccups. Like uh, last week, we had to not do an episode because I was too sick. So, yeah, we're doing our best. My my therapist told me once that it's really difficult to be angry at people when you remember that we are all doing our best. I'm yeah. doing my best. You're doing your best. Um, and so my perfectionist friend. Beth, your best is perfect. Uh -huh. um, I also believe that our fruities know that, that we are doing our best. And um, I, I love and appreciate them for that. So be easy, yeah. friend. Be easy on yourself. Well, Stop being you. so hard on my friend. Yeah. Beth. Um, we are all doing our best. And that is perfect. Um, me just I'm good and terrible at the same time. How are you? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah, same. Uh, <laughs> same. Yeah. So, uh yeah, just just out here doing our best. That's all. So let's move on to our listener letter portion of right. our show here. Well, hello, angels. Woo! Thank you. What's in the bag, Beth? <laughs> well, we got an email from Marta. 
Ah, okay. And Marta said, hello, ladies. Wow, wonderful podcast. Thank you for the information and educating on issues impacting marginalized communities. I did notice that in episode about Canada, Drake's role. Drake the rapper. Drake the Mm -hmm. rapper. His Mm -hmm. role on Degrassi came up eliciting some laughs when it was revealed his character was in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I fully admit that was me. That was yeah, sorry, maybe probably that. me too. Probably yeah. me too. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Marta continues to say, I think ableism is one of these areas that able individuals tend to forget. And as lo- a longtime listener, I know you would never mean to perpetuate any harm, judgment on disabled groups. I just wanted to draw your attention to it. Thank you again for opening my eyes to issues as a Polish immigrant. I need to be aware of to be a better ally. And, ah. uh, Thank you, Marta. Absolutely. Hip hop air horns to you. And we love the constructive criticism. Yes, yes, we do. Yeah, this gives us an opportunity to also have a conversation about ableism, allyship, and that we make mistakes. And mm-hmm. and uh, like I said, I fully admit I made a mistake in yep. that one. I'm not even going to try to uh, justify it. It was, it same. was, yeah, I, I uh, fucked yeah. that up. Yeah. Apologize. Me, same, same. And uh, this is a safe space where growth and failure live simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully we can help others see that we are doing our best to be good global citizens, that we don't get it right all the time. But uh, we cop to it and keep trying and everyone can do the same. That's right. That's right. So Uh, thank you, Marta. Thank you so much, Marta. Yeah. All right. So we got several patrons, Patreons, Cash App donations. Thank you all for supporting our show. Uh, Thank you for those who have continued to support our show. Um, We couldn't do this without you. So here are some thank you tunes. Let me give you all the names. So there's Shannon. There's Neldy, there's Lori D, uh, Joyce, and Susie from Scotland. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, here we go. Okay, thank you. okay. Uh, here we go. Because I realized we got Shannon on Podbean. That's what I got, and in the end, that's what I found out. And it ain't no need to cry, because from now on, Shannon is a Fruit Loops friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Neldy, this is for you. It's my twin in them. Go best friend. We killing them. <laughs> now D is a Patreon. <laughs> Who these new niggas? Yeah. I am feeling them. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Melby. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Lori, Lori D, this is for you. Okay. It's the Lori D for us. It's the <laughs> Lori D for us. Blood splatter. <laughs> Instead of pulled true crime content. <laughs> Instead of news, it's Lori D. <laughs> okay, Joyce, this one is for you. Thank you for your cash app donation. Yeah. Um, it's the most wonderful crime of the year. <laughs> Thank you, Joyce, for donating. Hope we're entertaining all throughout the year. <laughs> it's the most wonderful crime of, of the, the year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Susie from Scotland, this is for you. All right, because it's Thanksgiving and this, oh man, I love this song. Okay, I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lambs, rams, hogs, logs, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes. Susie, 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 you name it. 
and uh, hip hop air horns to everybody. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> And if you hated them, I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, so now we're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, under eating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do this in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time <laughs> to fess up. It's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. So sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? 
heard of it? Why, yes, I have. (laughs) I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. (laughs) Okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. (laughs) Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. (laughs) There is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Okay, we are back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Today we're talking about Priscilla Joyce Ford, who drove down Virginia Street in Reno, Nevada at 40 miles per hour into a crowd, killing six people and injuring 23. Uh-oh. Well, uh, and for those of y'all that, uh, y'all that don't know, Priscilla Ford is a black woman. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, and so here we go into some stats. All right. On November 27th, 1980, Thanksgiving Day, while some were overindulging on turkey and stuffing, others were overindulging in... Murder. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to you, Keith Morrison. At me, bro. Uh, so Priscilla Joyce Ford was born in February 1929 in Michigan, which is north. It is a um, stop in the uh, on the Great Migration and a place um, for uh, black people to be more free than they were in the South. Right. So we'll, we, uh, which is important. But we'll get into her mental health. But it is very likely that one of her parents or grandparents was an enslaved person. Yeah. So that's significant, too. Uh, she had three children. She injured 23 people and killed five initially. But my understanding is two people later died of their injuries. One person died a year later. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, so so she wasn't charged for that murder. For that one. But, okay. Yeah. Um, and this all happened on Thanksgiving Day in 1980. Those who died were, thank you, Beth, because I could not find these names anywhere. Oh, it was actually <laughs> Minnie. Minnie who oh, did this. Yeah. Minnie! Hang on a second. <laughs> Minnie, thank you. Uh, okay, so rest in power, y'all. Uh, Iva Britton from Reno, Nevada, was 80 years old. Jolene Cranmer from Horsehead, New York, was 20 years old. John Koshella from Reno, Nevada, was 60 years old. Paul A. Nitzel was from Sunnyvale, California, was 73 years old. Josephine Starkey from Sparks, Nevada, was 50. And there was a sixth vic- victim whose name we do not know. And then again, there was a seventh person who died a year after, um, whose name I am not aware of. Um, but rest in power to all of uh, those folks. And um, her choice of weapon was a blue 1974 Lincoln Continental, which she used to mow down a crowd. And her mental health is a contributing factor. Yeah. And if you were worried about your holiday being ruined by Priscilla, fear not. <laughs> she did. Details to come. <laughs> so now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is Reno, Nevada. Uh, 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 people from Nevada really don't like it when People say Nevada. Nevada. Okay. My apologies. (laughs) People from Nevada. Thank you. (laughs) 
Nevada. Okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> so uh, Reno is historically majority white. Mm-hmm. And today, black folks still make up less than 3% of the population. Mm. The land on which Reno sits is in the northwestern portion of the state in Washoe County. This area was originally inhabited by the Martise people from 2000 BCE until 500 CE, then later by the Washoe people. Oh, that's I, I that's a really interesting fact. Um, yeah. And I, my mother-in-law lives in Reno. Mm. And uh, Reno is, what do they call it? The biggest little town. Yeah, uh, biggest little city in the world. Yeah, woo! Yeah. Ooh, Reno and you know the th- one of my favorite shows is Reno 911 oh, and yeah. I hate to say Forgot this Reno but it's very accurate yeah. <laughs> um, so similarly to other lands that weren't immediately appealing as farming land for European settlers it wasn't until the land was desired for another reason that Europeans began to make serious efforts to occupy the land to settle there so fuck white supremacy next yep. <laughs> When silver was discovered in 1859 by Europeans in nearby Mount Davidson, settlers began to flock to the region. Mm. The discovery of silver sparked something of a mining rush in Nevada, which was then (laughs) part of Utah territory, and a community began to develop. In 1861, Nevada officially became its own territory, separate from Utah. Um, another little thing I have to interject here. So I, uh, my kids had, I think they had Columbus Day off of school, mm-hmm. and they learned about Columbus. And I was like, "Oh, you mean the rapist, racist, um, thief?" Uh, and they like were puzzled. And I just, I just took their tablets from their hands and said. I just discovered these tablets. They're mine now. Isn't that stupid? Uh, and so we're just like going around the house like, oh, I Christopher, Col- I'm going to Christopher Columbus this. I'm going to Christopher Col- I mean, because that's what it is. It's ridiculous. I see something I like. I'm just going to take it. Yeah, I'm going to start calling that Columbusing. <laughs> There we go. Merch alert. So (laughs) the spot, the spot Reno currently occupies started as a log toll bridge across the Truckee River in 1859 and was eventually named Lakes Crossing. Uh, It was named for, of course, after a white man named Myron C. Lake, who had purchased the bridge and had been instrumental in developing the community there. Lakes Crossing soon became the largest town in Washoe County. As railway lines developed across North America in 1863, Lakes Crossing was selected as a stop along the way for one of these lines. Myron C. Lake had guaranteed the selection by dating land to the Central Pacific Railroad in exchange for a commitment to building a railway depot in his community which uh, sounds shady to me. Doesn't it, though? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So on May 9th, 1868, after the railroad station was built, the town of Reno was officially established. Lakes Crossing had been renamed to Reno to honor Union General Jesse Lee Reno, who had died in 1862 during the Civil War. Well, at least he was a union general. A union, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's that. (laughs) The establishment of the railway station helped the community grow, and both economic and cultural development soon followed. The University of Nevada was... Nevada. Thank you. (laughs) The University of Nevada was founded in 1874. Then in 1885, the primary campus was built on a rise of land overlooking Reno. The university contributed greatly to the town's identity and gave it a reputation as a cultural center. I don't know if I go that far. (laughs) Reno 
Cosmo's nickname, Biggest Little City in the World, is a nod to the wide range of cosmopolitan amenities available in a city <laughs> of its relatively small size. Okay, okay. <laughs> Give me to the golden nugget. <laughs> Eventually, the silver ran out, and Reno, along with the rest of Nevada, needed a different draw to attract business. Nevada passed new divorce laws in 1927, which allowed people to divorce after six weeks of residency. Formerly, it had been six months. Wow. Okay, yeah. that's something. Now, this allowed local businesses like hotels, dude ranches, ring resetting services, etc., to make money off of such visitors. Most people left Nevada when their divorces were finalized, so it was a good influx of cash from divorce tourism. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Also, the state of Nevada legalized open gambling on March 19, 1931. Casinos were built, which drew even more people and all their money to the area. However, Reno was very segregated and racism was rampant. Uh, yeah, whenever I go there, I feel like a speckle of pepper in somebody's milk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so until the 1960s, although there were no actual laws legislating it, Black folks were restricted in housing and employment opportunities, were not served in white restaurants and bars, and could not enter white casinos or stay in white hotels. And prior to 1959, interracial marriage was illegal in Reno. Oh, wait, that was 1959. Jesus, yeah. do better, America. Right. <laughs> Bethel AME Church, which is the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Where I grew up and was married. Okay, Yeah, continue. there you yeah. go. It was a religious, social, and political center of the Black community, initially for Black settlers in the 1910s, and later for local civil rights activists during the 1960s. Many members of Reno's NAACP chapter found in 1919, were also congregants of Bethel AME, and the church acted as the official meeting location of the chapter. Fantastic. And yeah. that's true of most all Black churches throughout the United States. Now, during the early 1940s, the church sought new quarters for the Bethel congregation, which wanted to expand its facilities to include a kitchen and social hall. The church proposed purchasing an existing building in the predominantly white area of Northwest Reno, near the University of Nevada and Reno High School. Guess what happened? Uh-oh. Wait a minute. They didn't like it? The yeah, whites yeah. didn't like it? They, for some reason, for they didn't some like it. For some strange yeah. reason. You know what? Is race, race doesn't make any sense. It yeah. is preposterous it's to stupid. believe that yeah. somebody's skin makes you that difference. Right. Uh, but here we go. <laughs> white people think so. Oh, my <laughs> not God. All, not all white people. Not all. But not all, uh, uh, not all. Hashtag be like Beth. <laughs> and protests were lodged by the university, the school board, and the Gamma Phi Beta sorority at a Reno City Council meeting against the Black congregation moving to that section of the city. Because mm. of the protests, the congregation decided not to move to another building and instead just renovated the existing church, which had been built in 1910. Because of racism and segregation, the divorce experience in Reno for Black folks was different from white folks. Get what do you, you know? don't say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Establishments that welcomed white divorce seekers, such as hotels, boarding houses, restaurants, and casinos, were not available to black divorce seekers. So Bethel AME embraced them. Mm. The church helped them find accommodations, and a boarding house associated with the church was located on the site, mm. catering to black congregants and divorce seekers. The church also provided entertainment and meals. 
Wow. Uh, So in the 1950s, when showroom entertainment drew crowds to popular white venues, even well-known popular black performers could not find places to stay in segregated hotels and motels. Um, And the first place to cater to black customers was the Siesta Motel, built in 1946, which served black automobile tourists and black performers. And by the way, um, black performers who were allowed to perform in these casinos would have to like go in through the back. Right. You know, right. Um, even though people were paying to see them. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. The first places that offered entertainment to black folks were the new China club, the elite club and club Harlem. Mm. These facilities offered casino gaming, but for many years, only club Harlem, Woolworths and a small Chinese restaurant and the regular AME church socials would serve meals to black folks. Today, Bethel AME church is one of the most significant buildings in the state of Nevada associated with its black population and civil rights movement. Shout out to Bethel AME. Now by the late 1960s, other states began changing their divorce laws as well, so divorce tourism dropped off. But gambling continued to be a profitable business for Reno, even into the 1980s. It still has a reputation to this day as being the divorce capital of the United States. Wow. Yeah, though it is reinventing itself as an outdoor recreation destination, as it is close to a number of ski resorts and Lake Tahoe. Mm. Uh, so now we're going to get into Priscilla Ford's early life. What do you got for us, Beth? Priscilla Joyce Ford Nay Lawrence was born on February 10th, 1929 in Michigan to parents Lucille Marion Minnesee of Michigan and Richard James Lawrence of Tennessee. Priscilla was the sixth of eight children, all of whom were born in either different parts of Michigan or different states. So it appears that her family moved around a lot when she was young. Her mm. youngest sibling was 11 years younger than her and Whoa. her oldest was two years older. Whoa, yeah. wait a minute. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this is an aside by Minning mm. and uh, she says being moved around a lot as a child is definitely not good for the mental health of that child. Right. Beth and Minnie had been moved to at least eight different homes, a couple of them motels wow. in four different states, both West Coast and East Coast, by the time Minnie was 11 and Beth was 13. Wow. And they can confirm it can really negatively affect you. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to lead to murder, though. So, right. <laughs> so far, Beth and Minnie haven't killed anyone that they're admitting to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Minnie, I am just cackling reading your asides. Uh growl, Minnie. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and I also, this is on a side, I am so happy that Minnie, because Minnie has also, Beth is very private. I don't know if you all have noticed this. <laughs> we don't know much about Beth and I love getting these details. So um, but back to Priscilla, she was married to her first husband, Dewey George Ford in 1946, right out of high school when she was only 17 years old. She had two sons with him, born in 1948 and 1949. And her father passed away in 1948 when she was just 19 years old, two years after she was married. In 1952, she divorced Dewey, a book that she wrote many years later called Where Heaven Is Now, hmm. though full of veiled, convoluted rambling, implies that he was likely abusive. Priscilla married again in 1953 to a man with the last name of Page and divorced again in 1954. She then married William Scott in 1956. 
Priscilla reportedly had a very high IQ at 140. So even though, yeah, she only had a a high school education, she was able to find a job as a teacher in a one-room schoolhouse in Dowagiak, Michigan in 1957. She was the first Black teacher in the area and is remembered as a gifted, caring teacher. And she would have been 28 years old at that time. And she kept her job as a teacher from 1957 to 1966. In 1962, Priscilla gave birth to her third and last child, Winter Scott. She divorced William Scott in 1965 when Winter was still quite young. The previously mentioned book that she wrote implies abuse from him as well. Three AM, the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're gonna get. You're gonna hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the Matrix, cult leaders, missing four one one, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins. Convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts. People who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6000 cash, give us each 3000 we give you this. Uh-huh. You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. 
now we're going to get into the timeline. So Ford's first arrest was in 1957 when she shot her husband in alleged (laughs) self-defense and then shot herself, but both survived. She was 28 at the time and she was arrested, but there weren't any available details about a conviction for this. So sorry. Um, There were apparently no charges filed. It's also unclear whether this was before or after she became a teacher, as it is reported, um, that it occurred in the same year. Ford left Michigan in 1966 with her daughter Winter, moving from place to place in various states, taking whatever job she could find. During this time, she began to develop an obsession with religion and began to tell people that she was Jesus. Whoa! <laughs> that, that escalated quickly. You did in it, though! <laughs> she was married for her fourth time sometime after this to a man with the last name of Wagner. Okay. By 1970, Ford's behavior had become noticeably more strange to friends and family. According to them, she said that she kept seeing her dead husband, her first husband, Dewey, who had died in 1959, across the street from her home in Buffalo, New York. Hmm. She also apparently thought that she was Adam and Jesus Christ reincarnated. Wow. Wow. That's a, wow. That's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> Impressive. Uh, <laughs> In 1972, one of Ford's sons returned from his service in the army to find that she seemed delusional and was habitually drinking more alcohol than she used to. During this time, she was also arrested on more than one occasion on minor charges for a variety of things, each time being released. She separated from her last husband in 1972, and her children say he died after the separation one day after she told them, quote, I hope God strikes him dead, unquote. Wow. At one point, wow, it worked. At one point in 1973, now living in Reno, Nevada, Ford voluntarily committed herself to the Nevada Mental Health Institute, where she was treated and released. They assigned her the diagnosis of passive aggressive personality with hysterical episodes. Wow. Yeah. Passive aggressive personality is not really considered a diagnosis because it's not in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, also known as the DSM. Mm -hmm. It is considered more of a behavior that can be symptomatic of other conditions. And I listened to a great episode on passive aggressive personality disorder on psychology in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, which I've shouted out before. That's uh, right. The host is Kirk Honda, and he's mm-hmm. a, a Asian man, uh-huh. and uh, he's really smart and interesting. So I, I uh-huh. recommend you guys give it a listen. But anyway, subscribe. This, <laughs> this was a patron only episode, and yeah, I'm a patron. So. Of course you are. Of course. And uh, I haven't listened to it in a while because I listened to it a a while back. But Uh off the dome, I believe Kirk explains why he thinks it should be a diagnosis and Mm. why it's not in the DSM. Uh, The reasons being mostly political. Interesting. I had no idea so much of what gets put in uh, the DSM or taken out Uh is based on politics within the mental health community. That was eye opening. Get out of here. Wow. Um. Wow. Thank you for gems dropped. Uh, <laughs> the the person exhibiting passive aggressive behavior might not even be aware of it, as it is a way of dealing with negative feelings when a person doesn't feel like they can directly express or deal with them. And I believe it's a sign of trauma. Uh, yeah. And it is also a behavior that a person can learn to modify with enough therapy. So it is not necessarily a permanent part of a person's personality. Some contributing factors are being punished as a child for expressing anger or negative emotions or opposing thoughts or feelings. 
mm-hmm. not having learned how to assert oneself during childhood mm-hmm. and disruptions in a child's relationship to authority figures such as parents, caretakers or teachers, which uh, sounds to me like it could in some cases be a product of racism. Look at this. Look at this bitch. This Beth, it does it again. That's why she's my favorite white lady. So some examples of passive aggressive behavior are acting hostile or cynical, acting stubborn, blaming others or com- and complaining about being unappreciated. Ford definitely did exhibit these behaviors. Ford was arrested yet again in 1974, this time for trespassing, and as a result was required to undergo another mental health evaluation. Her daughter, Winter Scott, who was 11 at the time, was removed from her care and eventually placed in a foster home with relatives Mm. as it was determined that Ford could not adequately care for her. Mm, That's also a traumatic event for a mother. So Ford considered this to be kidnapping and she didn't think there was anything wrong with her. And she continued to believe that she was Christ reincarnated. (laughs) For years, she insisted that her child was stolen from her and insisted she had no idea where she was. Though some officials say they had been trying to find her to contact her about winter. And others say she knew perfectly well where her daughter was the entire time in L.A. with relatives. After this arrest in 1974, she moved back to New York, where she sought help from Catholic charities in Buffalo. A nun there described her as delusional. While in New York, she continued to commit minor crimes resulting in her arrest, such as theft, drug possession, and writing bad checks. Mm. Crimes of uh, survival, though. Yeah. Um, So she was treated at more than one mental health facility, one of which was in 1979 in Buffalo, New York, where she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Uh, She told a counselor during this time that she had a fantasy of running crowds of people over with a car, killing them. She said, quote, the people of Reno will pay in death, unquote, for taking her daughter. Whoa. In 1980, now living in Maine, Ford attempted to hire an attorney to get her daughter back for her. By this time, Winter would have been almost 18 years old. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. Ford allegedly told the lawyer that if no one helped her get her daughter back, then she would drive across the state and kill everyone she saw along the way. And uh, this reminded many of uh, Milton from Office Space when they took his stapler saying, I could set the building on fire. (laughs) God, vengeance is mine. Uh, whoa, mini. Uh, so in November 1980, Ford was intending, or was she now, to drive to San Francisco and ended up stopping in Reno. In Reno, of all places. Who'd have thunk it? Uh, so, and she went there to cash a check. Uh, and she just somehow needed to cash this check in Reno. What a coincidence. And then she decided to stay in that city of Reno. And as you can probably tell, kind of like an individually wrapped potato, (laughs) Minnie is not buying it. And I just thought, who would buy an individually wrapped potato? They sell them. They do? Yeah. They do? They do. No. It's like a microwave potato. What? Oh, my God. That's one of those things when I go to the grocery store with Minnie. She always Uh goes on rants about these potatoes. Wait, I've never seen one before. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. And who would need it? Who would buy that? Wow. Okay, so, so here we are. Uh, 
Priscilla Ford is in Reno. She finds a job as a package wrapper at Macy's. On November 27th, 1980, Thanksgiving Day, after a morning of heavy drinking, Ford decided to go for an afternoon drive. And uh, I hear that's highly recommended after a morning of heavy drinking, you know, kind of drive the alcohol out of your system. Sure. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, As somebody who has had um, struggles with alcohol use, morning (laughs) drinking never ends well. No, it does not. (laughs) So... Uh, She started out driving on the road normally, as if cruising, headed northbound on Virginia Street. I wonder what her playlist was. Between (laughs) 2nd Street and Douglas Alley, she then began to increase speed, then intentionally swerve into a crowded sidewalk and continued driving, hitting as many people on the sidewalk as she could along the way. Yikes. Wow. Intense. So police estimate that she drove about 100 feet on the sidewalk, up to speeds of 40 miles per hour. In in a huge vehicle that Lincoln, that Lincoln Continental Continental, is nothing to be fucked with. Yeah. Yeah. Ford then swerved back onto the road and kept driving, but ended up stopping in traffic five blocks later. Police caught up with her at a red light, pulled her out of the car and placed her under arrest. The deputy district attorney that day, John Oak, said, quote, I was dispatched down to a hit and run. I thought they were kidding me. It's Thanksgiving. I got downtown and it was a fucking war zone. There were bodies and shit everywhere. It was carnage. People were crying and ambulances were responding. It was a clusterfuck. Unquote. Wow. This deputy district attorney is keeping it real. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And here's a fun fact interjected by Minnie in Canada. Instead of saying clusterfuck, they say gong show. (laughs) Okay. Okay, Canada. They're so nice. You know, I can't possibly say cluster. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I can't say the F word. Oh, although Gong Show is pretty good, too. I like it. it yeah, it, it uh, evokes a, a sound in my head. How about a fucking Gong Show? Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Look at do. Beth molding the two worlds together. <laughs> As she was given tests to determine her blood alcohol level, Ford referred to the people she had hit with her car as beasts and pigs. No. She killed six people and injured 23 others. Some of the injured felt the effects many years later, such as Bob and Shirley Hahn, who were hit from behind as Ford drove on the sidewalk. Shirley commented, quote, we figured the only thing that saved us, there was a fellow right behind us. The car hit him and killed him before it hit us. We've felt it ever since. Bob just went to the doctor. He can't turn his neck like he used to. His leg still hurts him, unquote. And the awful thing is that we have to consider Bob and Shirley to be lucky. Yeah. Mm. Five people died at the scene. Their names are Iva Britton, 80 years old, Jolene Cranmer, 20 years old, John Cushella, 60 years old, Paul A. Nitzel, 73 years old, and Josephine Starkey, 50 years old. One of the injured later died at the hospital, and we were unfortunately unable to find their name. And uh, as I said earlier, one victim um, died one year after the injuries sustained um and that person's name i do not know so but rest in power to all of them Uh, a local television station reporter karen zupon had said that at the same location where the incident occurred not five minutes before she had been conducting interviews with people asking them what they were thankful for whoa holy crap yeah yeah wow oh my gosh so now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest 
Hit it, Beth. There was no question that Ford was the one who had driven on the sidewalk and had killed and injured numerous people in doing so. Mm. She was arrested without any struggle at the scene, surrounded by multiple witnesses. Officers at the scene described her as being exceptionally calm. Well, she was very faded. Yes, Uh, true. So which could have uh, contributed to her demeanor. Now, while she was waiting for the results of her blood alcohol test, she also easily admitted to what she had done and expressed no remorse for it to the officers at the scene. As they held her, they did have to keep the crowd away from her as more than one of the witnesses expressed wanting to kill her for what she had just done. Wow. Mm -hmm. A witness at the scene said, quote, she came right at us. She came right at us with a body still on the hood of the car. And she looked like she was looking for somebody else to hit, unquote. Wow. wow. Yeah. Uh, and I can imagine the crowd being angry, but I yeah. also must say I imagine they might have been angrier because this was a black person. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I I can also imagine that there were probably a lot of uh, N-words being thrown oh, at yeah. her Most direction. Yeah. yeah. So um, and that, not to just it doesn't justify no, what she did. No, I'm just no, saying. Just a comment. <laughs> yeah. So Deputy District Attorney John Oaks, our, uh, a.k.a. Mr. Keeping It Real, was assigned to monitor her and spent about five hours with her. He described her as having a remarkable mix of calmness and callousness. He said, quote, she looked at me point blank and said, how many people? did I kill? I said five or six. And she said, good. She was very placid, like just another day. Very matter of fact, very matronly, motherly. She was acting self-righteous, like she was justified in what she did. Uh, We couldn't figure out why at the time, unquote. Police interviewed 40 witnesses at the scene. Ford's blood alcohol level turned out to be twice the legal limit for driving at 0.162. Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, she, was, she was fucked up, man. She was fucked up. So uh, now we're going to get into the trial. So in December of 1980, Priscilla Joyce Ford was indicted for six counts of murder and 23 counts of attempted murder. Ford was represented by uh, at trial by Washoe County Public Defender Lou Carnahan, who decided that the best possible defense for Ford would be insanity. On January 29, 1981, Priscilla Ford was declared mentally incompetent to stand trial. The judge in the case ordered that she receive mental health treatment so that she would, at some point, be competent to stand trial. On August 6, 1981, the district court decided that she had recovered enough from her illness to be declared now competent to stand trial, and jury selection could begin. Jury selection and trial preparation took months, and her trial did not begin until November 12, 1981. Judge John Barrett gave instructions to the jury that they must decide among three possible verdicts. These verdicts were innocent, innocent by reason of insanity, or guilty. Priscilla Ford's plea was entered as innocent by reason of insanity. The judge further explained to the jury that in order for her to be declared innocent by reason of insanity, she must not have understood the nature and quality of the acts, must not have had the capacity to determine right from wrong, or must not have known she was doing wrong when she committed the act. So in that moment is what they're judging her for. Right. In order to prove that Ford was not guilty by reason of insanity, Carnahan called four psychiatrists and 19 other witnesses to testify for the defense. Carnahan also presented a great deal of evidence that detailed her previous hospitalizations, arrest records, medical history, employment, and education. That's some good 
public defender lawyering, lawyering yeah. right? Um, psychiatrists for the defense submitted a diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia with religious delusions. She apparently thought she was Jesus Christ and that she had, <laughs> she was doing drugs uh, and that she had uh, the right to kill something like an, an avenging angel. Wow. Yeah. Uh, she also claimed that she was incapable of sin as she was the Messiah. Well, makes sense to me. <laughs> Amen. If if it looks like an individually wrapped potato and sounds like an individually wrapped potato, then it's an individually wrapped potato. A police officer who had been with her at the scene said that Ford had calmly explained that, quote, I deliberately planned to get as many as possible. A Lincoln Continental can do a lot of damage, can't it? Unquote. Uh, she's not Yikes. wrong. Where is yeah. the lie? Uh, <laughs> so the car she was driving was this 1974 version of the Continental. And it does kind of look like it could do double duty as a battering ram. Uh, the car had a huge front end. I think that's an under. Is there a, big, a be- better, bigger word for huge? And uh, was gigantic. E- <laughs> gigantic and was equipped with a large, solid metal bumper and big grill. The same officer also testified that Ford said, quote, I am a New York teacher. I'm tired of life. I want attention. I'm sick of problems. In June 1980, a voice told me to drive through a crowd at a theater and kill as many as possible. But another voice said, she's too much of a lady to do it. Unquote. Wow. <laughs> wow. I don't know why, but that's just, uh, I'm too much of a lady to drive over people with my car. That's just... <laughs> Wow. I uh, tickled this my This is interesting. She's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I she will is. give her Definitely. that. Now, according to Ford, Senator at the time, uh, Edward Kennedy's wife, Joan Kennedy, had told her via a voice in her head that she didn't have what it takes to actually do it. Uh, she said she tried to resist the idea, but that she was goaded into it by the voice in her head. Per Minnie, maybe the voice in her head told her simply in the famous words of Rihanna to shut up and drive. Whoa! Okay, Minnie! Hip-hop air horns for you for invoking Rihanna. And she also says that she knows she shouldn't poke fun, but this whole thing is just too tragic otherwise. She feels for the victims, also doesn't want to ever know what it's like firsthand to live in the hell that schizophrenics must live in. Mm -hmm. And humor is her go-to defense mechanism. And, uh, you know, we must be sisters. (laughs) Right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So apparently Ford thought she had a special relationship with Joan Kennedy as well as with other celebrities at the time. Oh, really? She Uh also obsessively identified with the Seventh-day Adventist Church co-founder Ellen White, Hmm. who she did physically resemble somewhat. During the trial, Ford took the stand. Her attorney advised against it, calling it public suicide, but she did it anyway, claiming she was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, Adam, and or Ellen White. Wow. She at one point testified that, quote, I am human and I am divine. I don't like it any more than anyone else does. I don't want to be divine, unquote. I don't want to be so awesome. I just am. I I can't help it. I, wow. It's not my fault. (laughs) So at one point, oh my 
goodness. At one point, her daughter, Winter, who was 19 at the time of the trial, also took the stand and testified that her mother had taught her to smoke marijuana at the age of nine. Um, And this would have been in 1971 when Ford's mental illness was becoming more and more apparent. Um, She was likely self-medicating with marijuana and alcohol, as some accounts do say, that she didn't want to stay on the medications that she was prescribed for her mental illness. Winter also testified at the trial that her mother often talked about planning to have Winter artificial officially inseminated so that she could give birth to the next messiah. What now? Hmm? Uh yeah. Come again? <laughs> I'm nine. Yeah. <laughs> Mom. Oh, so the uh, prosecution held that Ford might have been delusional, but that she did indeed know right from wrong, plus showed signs of having planned the murder. So she did not meet the legal insane qualification as it pertains to criminal acts. Their proposed motive was that Ford was angry that she wasn't getting the attention that she thought she was entitled to. On March 19, 1982, the jury of seven men and five women found Ford guilty of six counts of first-degree murder and of 23 counts of attempted murder. Nine days later, on March 28, the jury voted in favor of the death penalty, though that penalty was never carried out. At the time, the death penalty in Nevada would have been by gas chamber. When she was sentenced, Ford said, quote, I would like to be left alone to die in peace, unquote. Hmm. By the time the trial had ended, it was then the longest and most expensive trial in northern Nevada's history, having lasted five months almost. Close to 100 witnesses had given testimony and over 500 exhibits had been presented by the defense and the prosecution combined. She later told the jailer she, quote, did what she had to do, unquote, and that the people she hit were, quote, just pigs animals let out in a wild place, unquote. For the next 18 years, Ford continued to go through appeals processes while she remained on death row in Southern Nevada. Um, I was going to say, Beth taught me that the appeals process is um, also a process that the um, victims have to participate in as well, which is not fair. It's dramatic. It's not good. So the DA for the prosecution, Cal Dunlap, said years later that he still agrees with his efforts to get the death penalty for her at the time. And it should be noted, more black people get the death penalty than um, than white people disproportionately. Um, According to him, quote, the reason I went for the punishment I went for wasn't because I thought she would ever be put to death. It was the best way that I knew how to assure that she would never hurt anybody else in those days. And since then, the mental health people have let people go. (laughs) The mental health people have let people go and the parole people have let people go and people who have killed again. They shouldn't have been let go. People who have the death penalty to deal with don't get out at all, or they get out a a whole lot later than those who are convicted of first-degree murder without the death penalty, unquote. Dunlap also said that he didn't believe in her mental illness, that he thought she was faking it, and that he thought whether or not she had any mental illness was irrelevant to the trial and sentencing. Uh, Uh, I, I... Agree to disagree. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or yes. maybe I don't agree. I just I disagree. Do, not at all. Not, not one bit. <laughs> he just wanted her out of society. He later wrote, quote, a person who is murdered is just as dead when killed by an insane person, as is a person killed by someone with no mental disorder. The family and friends of a victim suffer no less because the death is caused by a person who is mentally ill or insane. Indeed, mm. often the death is more difficult to accept because the victim has done absolutely nothing to provoke the wrath of the killer, unquote. 
Well, wow. that's one way to look at it, I guess. I, but I guess yeah. um, you done that about noted. Yeah. yeah. It's um, not really about that, but okay. No. Okay. So keep in mind when the death penalty verdict was pronounced for Ford on March 1982, this was less than a year after the then newly elected U.S. president, oh God, Ronald Reagan, had <laughs> repealed most of the Mental Health Systems Act of 1980 that had been signed in by former president Jimmy Carter for the purpose of providing grants to community mental health centers. This set up a sort of community attitude of disregard for the struggles of the mentally ill mm. and an unwillingness to accept that ignoring the mentally ill will ultimately do more harm on society than understanding and treating them would. Yeah, this is a perfect example of why mental health should be taken seriously. So yeah, big and why mistake. it should be an important, mm-hmm. is something that our society disregards and absolutely should not absolutely yeah we want to be a better um society and keep everybody safe um and well um should be a a priority you know everybody the the mentally ill society as a whole Mm -hmm. everybody Absolutely. Uh, So the long title of Jimmy Carter's signed bill was a bill to improve the provision of mental health services and otherwise promote mental health throughout the United States and for other purposes. When Ronald Reagan repealed it, one of the effects was a reduction of care for mental health patients so that many of them could no longer be effectively cared for. In the coming years, some who were in care were released from that care and left to their own devices. That's a shame. Yeah, it really is. In the early 2000s, Ford's defense attorney, Lou Carnahan, said that the case really affected him. Even 21 years after the case, he said, quote, My firm belief was that she was legally insane, even under the strict McNaughton test. If the jury had found the facts as I believe they existed, she would be in a mental hospital, not in prison. Mm. I certainly respect the jury and their efforts, but I think they made a wrong decision in their interpretation of the facts. I think she should have been found not guilty by reason of insanity and placed in a secure facility such as Lakes Crossing. I believe she would have been there for the rest of her life, unquote. Mm. Uh, Yes. And uh, I mean, in prison, there is no mental health treatment. Right. Uh, So at the time she was sentenced, she was the only woman on death row in Nevada. As we've discussed in previous episodes, it's actually pretty unusual for a woman to be sentenced to that to death. It makes you wonder if she'd been white, would she have received the same sentence? And I'm going to say no. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com 
or your favorite listening app, October 31st. So now we're going to get into where are they now? What do you got, Beth? Over the course of Ford's incarceration, a date had been set for her execution five times. But each time sanity hearings and or death penalty appeals for a variety of reasons stopped the execution from going forward. On multiple occasions, she tried to argue that the Thanksgiving Day murders were actually an accident because her car had malfunctioned. Sure, Jan. (laughs) So her car had been thoroughly examined and it was determined that there was nothing wrong with the car that would have caused her to suddenly and accidentally really drive into the crowded sidewalk on that day. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Though her execution was stayed multiple times, in the end, Ford died anyway. She died of emphysema on January 29th, 2005, when she was 75 years old. She'd been a heavy smoker for years. She died after she spent 18 years incarcerated at the Southern Nevada Women's Correctional Center, never having taken responsibility for what she had done. Oh, wow. She she stuck to her story until the very end, I guess. Well, you know, she she was mentally ill, so uh, she probably thought she was justified. Absolutely. So um, that leads us to our takes, our hot takes, what uh, we think about the case. So um, let's share Minnie's thoughts, shall we? Okay. So here's what Minnie has to say, y'all. She said, I just kept going back and forth between hoping that she's since been reincarnated, not as Jesus, but as a Thanksgiving turkey and hoping (laughs) that she's found some mental peace. Wow, Minnie, (laughs) it's Minnie's comedy hour today. So it makes you wonder if she had received more adequate care for her mental health issues, would this have happened at all? And another thought she had, speaking of mental illness, menopause. No kidding. That shit fucks you up and no one warns you about it. <laughs> I, it's it's true. I am fine. I'm not in menopause, but I it really does affect you. And I mean, people talk about hot flashes, possible cholesterol rising and osteoporosis, but no one talks about the hormone surges like the ones you had when you were a teenager, making you feel crazy like a teenager again, or reduction in memory, feeling exhausted, dizziness, changes to your cycle resulting in iron loss. Wow, that can make a normal person feel like they're starting to lose their mind. And how does that interact with the brain chemistry of a schizophrenic? I don't know, but I'm thinking it's not good. And she was 51 <laughs> at the time of the murders. Yeah, and so many. Wow. <laughs> thank you for the hot take. Yeah. Minnie. I, I, I had not even considered yeah, the possibility of her age and, yeah. and hormone um Definitely could be a a factor for sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Minnie. Yeah, thank you. So I'm thinking untreated mental illness and substance abuse exacerbated by racism. Put that in the DSM. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was interesting that she identified with Adam and Jesus, who are both, uh, you know, they're portrayed as white. Yeah. And they're both male. Yeah. Um, so That's, putting on yeah. my psychologist's hat, and okay. I'm not a psychologist, but it's okay. That's okay. <laughs> As a black woman, she most likely felt powerless, and mm. thinking she was Jesus or Adam or both gave her a sense of power and control. Wow! So, yes, yeah. another interesting, beautiful take. You <laughs> <Yeah>, too, <so. laughs> Minnie and Beth. I'm just gonna sit back and let you finish. <laughs> 
But what's that? Look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so, um, um, I don't think any of this was conscious, you know? Yes. It, yeah. And she was schizophrenic. So whatever she was thinking, I, I d- totally disagree with, uh, the, the jury, prosecutor. Yeah. The and jury, the jury and the prosecutor. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Um, I think she was mentally ill and, um, if she had not been mentally ill, she never would have done this. So that's I just agree. my thought. Yeah. Yeah. And she wasn't uh, either, uh, uh, even though there was clear evidence of her mental illness with her medical yeah. records, yeah, that like, she was hello. not, <laughs> yeah, she was not afforded the privilege or right to be seen as a human being with yeah. mental illness and treated as such. Um, right. And so race, it starts with an R and ends with an A-cism. For sure, uh, yeah. <laughs> so she was, uh, she was born in the 1920s it, during Jim Crow terrorism. Um, segregation and violence likely played a role in her everyday life. And uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, it's likely that either a parent or grandparent of hers was an ex- enslaved person and right. abuse perpetrated on those who recently came, who came before her um, and that she experienced in America con- probably contributed to fucking with her mental health. Right. Um, and I'm no OG of true crime like my friend <laughs> Beth here, but schizophrenia is complicated. Uh, yeah. And uh, I think many mentioned most who suffer from it are not violent. Right. Um, but I've heard a lot of podcasts by because I'm fascinated by mental um, mental health uh, podcasts of people who s- live with schizophrenia yeah. um, and just des- describing their experiences. I can't I can't speak to it, but it is complicated. Yeah. Um, and Ford was clearly mentally ill, but never received adequate or lasting care. And society's failing to take care of our citizens who are mentally ill as the great Jimmy Carter tried to do, but Ronald yeah. Reagan fucked it up for everybody. Fucking um, Reagan, or, man. Yeah, fucking Reagan. Why do people like him so much? Um, I, don't I, I don't understand <laughs> it. Uh, and um, but but uh, failing to take care of mentally ill folks or marginalized folks who need help hurts all of all us. of us. Yeah, all of us. And what happened that fateful day, uh, Thanksgiving Day in Reno, is. A clear evidence of that what uh, what yeah. more evidence do we need that we need to do better um, yeah agreed oh i love it when all our minds come together <laughs> look at us solving things uh so now we're going to get into how not to get murdered so if you love true crime and you don't want to die here's a tip for you <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming we thought of this segment because i read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer this is not meant to blame the victims it's just learning from other people's experiences so what do you got beth well a 16 year old girl who had been missing for several days was rescued recently when she caught the attention of a passing driver by using hand gestures to signal that she was in distress Mm, yes so yeah so the hand signal was created in response to a rise in domestic violence cases over the pandemic lockdown Domestic violence cases in 2020 exceeded reports from 2018 and 2019 combined. God help us. Yeah. The Women's Funding Network launched the campaign called Signal for Help to raise awareness about distress hand gestures for victims to use for assistance. The silent single-handed gesture is done by putting your hand up, palm facing outward, tucking the thumb in while the four fingers face up, then close the fingers to trap the thumb. 
Got so it. just repeat that over and over again at uh, somebody who may be able to help you. Yes. And uh, hopefully they understand the signal and yeah. uh, we'll be able to get you some help. Yeah. And if you are experiencing domestic violence, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or go to thehotline.org. All calls are toll free and confidential. The hotline is available 24-7 in more than one 170 languages. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that tip. Sure. And now we're going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by or about um, any other or marginalized folks uh, yeah. and or any true crime goodies. And so we are wrapping up Indigenous Heritage Month uh-huh. and I saw two documentaries. I know I didn't realize you were going to talk about this. I saw your oh, little note. Oh, that's okay. I changed mine. Okay. All right, fine. So then here I go. So the documentary on Netflix is called Gather, and it um, takes it's a documentary about taking a close look at indigenous American movements that aim to rediscover identity and reclaim sovereignty through and ancestral foods. And it was it was it, I found it beautiful. Um, yeah. So check it out. Yeah, it's, on it was, it's great. Yeah. It's yes. And then another documentary called Rumble, the Indians who rocked the world. And this came out in 2017. I cannot believe I am ashamed of myself. This must be <laughs> what white people feel like when you we, and I are talking about racism, racism <laughs> history. Unquote, that, yeah, like racism. How, <laughs> how dare how dare I not realize Native American history is part of i mean the the rhythms um and beats and harmonies that um are involved in native american music are rude are just you can hear it in all of the music that we listen to today wow. um and so it's about how native american um history plays part in american music history um and it was it was incredible okay and did you know the song come and get your love yes yes indigenous rock band i knew no idea that yeah yeah oh my my mind has been blown and again i'm ashamed but this was fantastic yeah Yeah, so uh, my shout-out is Wheel of Time. Uh It's a new fantasy TV show on on Prime. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but uh, it's fantasy, so I'm going to be watching it. Okay, (laughs) okay. And it looks like it has a very diverse cast, and that's why I chose it. uh, Ah, yeah. On Prime, okay. Yeah. Fantasy, which we all could use a lot yes, of because yes. uh, Earth show. is ghetto and I want to leave. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, that's that's it uh, for today. Where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app. Just Google Fruit Loops Podcast app, or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. All true. That is all facts. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there.
Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? (coughs) Or just a horrible accident? (coughs) That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download. American Vigilante, now.